Our scripture reading today is selected from the common lectionary, which we have been preaching through this fall. That is the set of readings appointed for reading in churches throughout the world today. So not every church, but many churches throughout the world are reading uh, this same passage today and interpreting it in multiple ways. So hear the word of God in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I will read to the 40th verse. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus, and they asked Jesus a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife with no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, Jesus. There were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Jesus. In the resurrection, therefore, Whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, They cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are the children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now God is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to God, all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him another question. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. All right, some tricks that you might use if you would like to humiliate your opponent. What you would, what you want to defeat First, make mad. Reduce your opponent's view to a caricature so you don't have to take them seriously. Play that caricature over and over again to keep others from having to have an actual conversation about something. Now, to do that, reduce the idea that you don't want to actually talk about to the absurd to artificially make your idea 
seem more reasonable and necessary than it might actually be. Create as much noise as you can to deflect, defer, demur, and derail actual discourse. Sounds like what we're living through these days, don't you think? Especially with an election coming up this week. While this sermon is not about the politics that we're living through today, or about the election that's coming up this week, as tempted as I am, this sermon is about the scripture passage that is selected for today in, as I said, the set of readings appointed for the church throughout the world from which we're preaching this fall. This sermon and this passage is about Jesus responding to his critics with this morning's focus on one of those encounters in a long string of them in the Gospel of Luke. And it is about how Jesus changes the focus. And it might, might, just be about how Jesus might be asking us to change our focus too. But I'll leave that to you. Let's take a look. The story read in your hearing this morning is about Jesus being confronted by a group of Sadducees who had strategized this encounter and how they were going to undermine Jesus. It seems that they had planned to rhetorically corner him, not just to prove him wrong, but to make him and the movement that they thought he represented look foolish. They wanted to so quiet this movement that Jesus was leading. As we come to the story read in your hearing, Jesus has been responding to critics one after another trying to trap him and to prove him wrong. But over and over again, they have been proven to be the ones who were wrong. Jesus has silenced them, even as he invites them to follow him. And as he does that, he sets his followers' eyes in the right direction toward what is most important. He bursts their bubbles in ways that are still, even today, life-changing, life-giving and God-revealing. So who are these critics of Jesus? In first century Palestine, under Roman occupation, the Jewish community was deeply divided among different factions. There were those who collaborated with the empire, whether for personal gain or to do what they thought best to help protect the people. Okay. There were also groups that were dedicated to resistance and rebellion, even violent. There were surely those individuals who just did the best they could. But there were also three larger factions that dominated the mainstream of Jewish life and how folks organized religious and social life. 
These were the Pharisees, about whom the New Testament speaks quite a bit. There were also the Sadducees, who we'll talk about this morning, and there were a group called the Essenes. These groups were sort of like a cross between a religious denomination, a political party, and a pressure group. Bedfellows that we still see living together today, don't you think? Combining theology and politics and morality and social pressure in sometimes confusing ways. Most of the organized resistance to Jesus seems to have come from the Pharisees, which were at the time the most popular and the more widely followed group among the three. The Pharisees were committed to a careful and broad adherence to Jewish custom and law, led by teachers of the scripture and careful interpretations of that law. The Essenes were a bit more radical and communal, separating themselves from what they believed to be a corrupt society, like we see some groups still doing today in different ways. But it is that third group that we see Jesus encounter in our stories today, and they are the Sadducees. As simply as I can say it, the Sadducees were kind of the old money, old power traditionalists. They were the elite, representing a smaller number than the Pharisees, but wielding oversized shares of influence. They had a lot to protect, and they wanted to keep what they had. As folks of means, and some access to power often are, they were conservative, they were worldly, they were stable, and they were a bit less pie in the sky, let's get things straight and live for God, kinds of folks. Not so much. But the movement that was shaping around our Lord was a threat to them too. And let me tell you this. Even though it is the Pharisees that attack Jesus most often, and it is the Pharisees that Jesus gives the most direct responses to and gives the hardest time to, the Sadducees still seem to have lumped Jesus in with the Pharisees. You heard that in the story today. They saw Jesus as just another expression of a kind of way too serious religious feeling that was coming up from the people. So here's their thing. According to the Sadducees, one of the big mistakes that Jesus shared with the Pharisees was a doctrinal mistake that in their view had enormous social and political implications that they wanted to quash. That was belief in resurrection. That meant a belief in life after death. In an angelic realm that extends into eternity and raises our heads above just looking at our feet. That helps us look past the intrigues of this world. And that demands of us a higher calling, a higher sensibility, and a higher judgment. 
You see, Sadducees clung to an ancient strain of Jewish thought that saw no life after death, that believed it all happens here, and that when we die, we just die, that all our dealings with God are now, and so faithfulness to God points only here. So just before this encounter, Jesus puts down some critics, just before this one with the Sadducees. He puts down some critics who try to trick him into either betraying God or belittling the empire. When he is asked if followers should pay taxes to Caesar or not, you might know the story. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? He asks for a coin. There's a head of Caesar on the coin. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what is God and never mistake the difference. Silence. And like a tag team, the silenced group backs away and the Sadducees step forward. The passage today. They try their hand using the strategies I mentioned earlier. Make resurrection look absurd by posing a problem that shows how silly it is to think that we continue to live past death and that faith transcends life enough to make a difference. Reduce this inspiring hope to a silliness and the whole witness, the whole house will come tumbling down, Jesus and the Pharisees too. And so it unfolds. Rabbi Jesus, a question please. You, teachers of the law, point out that the rules passed down to us in Scripture from Moses say that if a man dies and leaves a widow with no child to take care of her, and the man has a brother, that brother should marry her and see about having some children. Right? Okay. So here's a thought experiment for you, Jesus. Let's say there's a large family of brothers, and this happens seven times, right down the line, one after the other. Now, notice that there is no real consideration given to this woman, but we'll hold that for now. (laughs) For the sake of what the the Sadducee critics of Jesus are trying to do here. You say, Jesus, that life now is continuous with life before and life to come, and that even in resurrection into life beyond death is hope. Well, then, if that's so, Jesus, whose wife is this widow when she dies in this so-called eternity of yours? What is this continuous life that you talk about? Get real, Jesus. The bait is set, and the provocateurs sit back and wait for Jesus to tangle himself in knots like the scribes and other teachers of the law can do when we try to justify a literal interpretation of what is actually a deeper truth. I'll bet that you have heard cultured critics of faith try to do the same today or Or maybe you've done it yourself in moments of doubt. 
If God created the world in seven days, what do you make of evolution? If the universe is so vast, how can God care about little old you? If you pray for healing and she dies anyway, how can you keep believing that God hears you? If God is active in your life, then how are you free? If only some are saved, how is God a God of mercy? And there are more questions you can add in. They're good questions, they are. But they get us bogged down in arguments that are off the point. In the distractions of squirrels running around instead of seeing the field before us, of missing the forest for the trees on purpose. Now on that last one, you have heard me tell of the observation that C.S. Lewis once made that if you are lost in a forest and you find a sign on a tree in the shape of an arrow and written on that arrow is this way out, you don't stand and stare at the sign trying to figure out what to do. You go in the direction the sign points. Right? Hold that. And let's consider how Jesus responds to the Sadducees. Basically, he calls their bluff without taking their bait. He redirects their attention and brings everyone witnessing the scene back to what is fundamental about faith. First of all, my dear friends, he says, if that were what resurrection means, your question would be an excellent question. But it makes no fatal blow to our belief because it misses the point from the start. Resurrection is not just a continuation of this life in some different place. The way we follow God in this life is for this life, not for the next. Our life with God is beyond our comprehension through all eternity. But that doesn't make the law by which we live here worthless. The way we live our life doesn't have to be eternal to be true. It simply needs to be helpful. God is the point, not the law. And there is no law above God. But what about this resurrection from the dead into eternal life? He, he does some thinking with them about this too. He, he says to them that scripture speaks of our forebearers in faith as if they are with us still. And scripture points to a larger truth that God is the author of life. God does not create death. And so all are alive in God's way, in the space of God's creative energy, healed and redeemed, not dead. Nothing of life is wasted. How can this be? Stop asking about the mechanism, he says. Start asking about the truth. Just let it rest and unfold in you its meaning, this side of paradise.
and get back to the truth that you can't twist or satirize. God is the God of the living. Love expressed in life as we found it reflects a hope that is larger than life. Find life here. Find life now. And this world will be full of God as if already eternity. And they too, those Sadducees, were silent. Now Jesus speaks a little more and then turns to his followers to give the deeper lesson. Seek truth. Don't play games with it. And beware of folks who do play games. For they think that they are so smart and so powerful and, and yet they trick the vulnerable for their own gain. They play a grift, presenting themselves as the protectors of true religion when they're not. And then get this. We usually see that as the end of all this in that portion of Luke. But there is a passage, a story that comes right after this, that even though we usually think it's the start of a new topic, I think it might not be. Jesus looks up, and he's by the temple, and he sees rich people putting their gifts, their coins, into the treasury. And then he sees a poor widow, the text says, put in two small copper coins. And he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she had to live on. We like to think that's a story about giving in the church. But it might be a story about putting priorities in the right place. It might be a summary of what he's trying to say to the Sadducees. It might be a nice summary and a kind of sign pointing the way out of the forest of questions and gaslighting and politicking and power games and deceptions and rhetorical tricks that the Sadducees and others tried to set for Jesus and that life seems so full of so much of the time today. Jesus seems to be telling us, don't follow the power games, friends. Follow love. Follow sacrifice, purity of heart, honest attempts to understand and do what's right without lying or deceiving. Follow what's humbler, simpler, and in the end, more lasting and more faithful. Follow resurrection, and the God of life will find you. It's truth more powerful than all the little things that we think are so big. It's truth more to the point than all the squirrels that distract us from the path before us. It's truth that Jesus embodied and that his spirit reminds us of now. How do you remember this in the midst of all that you're facing? Maybe those words from the prophet Micah that Jesus inherited might help. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. As you face the day ahead, rem remember all of this. 
Avoid the silliness and the squirrels. Follow the sign. Remember Jesus. And live in the light of the resurrection. Amen.